we just want to open our hearts to you right now. Lord, you have a word for this house, for this people, for this day. And Jesus, we want to receive that word with glad and good hearts. So Lord Jesus, we pray that you will bless your servant as he brings this word. And Lord, as he's already unburdened his heart over those things, Lord, that need prayer, the permits, the renewal of leases, the ongoing work of planting churches, we pray for favor and blessing in all of those areas. And now favor and blessing on your word as you bring and speak to us today. Come. Hallelujah. We receive with gladness in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I don't know when the last time Pastor Bob was actually in our pulpit. I know that for sure he was in our pulpit 13 years ago because he is the one who dedicated my son Noah, who's going to be 13 next Sunday, to the Lord. And so I know that he was here then. And I don't know if you've been in the pulpit 2005. Oh, all right. There you go. 75th anniversary, 2005. Thank you. Another Holmgren historian. Thank you so much, Paul. So could you join me one more time and welcome. Hallelujah. What a privilege and honor it is to be here. I appreciate so much your pastor and his wife. Uh, pastor Jim is a dear friend of mine. And uh, I've been so blessed with their hospitality and their love and their acceptance. We had a great day yesterday. Uh, some were, uh, that are here this morning were with us. We had two classes, and uh, it was a wonderful time of studying in the Word and receiving from the Lord. Uh, this morning, I want you to open your Bibles to chapter 11 of Mark, and we're going to share on the theme, The Lord has need of it, and He will return turn it soon. Chapter 11. Verse 2, and Jesus said unto them, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it here. So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside on the street and they loosed it and but some of them who stood there said to, to them what are you doing loosing the colt and they spoke to him just as Jesus had commanded so they let them go then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it and he sat on it and many spread their clothes on the road and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, blessed, uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Uh, this is one of the many, many prophecies given in the Old Testament. This prophecy was given by the prophet Zechariah in chapter 9, verse 9. And it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. 
Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is why we have celebrated for years in many religious communities Palm Sunday. But it's really Jesus is in his last week of ministry. His, his face is set in a, as a flint to carrying out the, the, the salvation, buying our salvation on the cross. He knew what was awaiting him. And yet the people knew that were close to him, knew that he was a Messiah, that he was the Savior. And they began to worship and adore him as he rode this donkey so humbly into Jerusalem. And, with, you know, this is a fulfillment of the many fulfillments of how, who Jesus is. I can't understand how people that read the Bible cannot understand that Jesus is the Son of God that Jesus is all-powerful, he's omniscient, he's all-present, he is our Lord, our Savior. There's not anything that he cannot do. And when we meditate upon this, when we think of this all-powerful God, it says in Colossians 1.16 that all the things that we see here on earth that were formed by God, they were formed by Jesus by him and for him. And he is our supernatural God. So many people in Christian churches today think that they have, God has no need of them. They, they think that God, he, he's all powerful. He has all the riches under control. He has, I mean, what is there that he can't do? And so, so many people, Christian people, sit in the pews Sunday after Sunday, hearing sometimes challenging messages that we need to win souls and we need to do this. And some people are into extreme Calvinism where they say it's all by election and uh, God's going to do it all. We don't have to do any work. But how many of you realize that we have been commissioned to take the gospel into all nations by Jesus himself? And we're here in the house of prayer. Uh, nations that are coming together and joining together. What a beautiful family you have here. I love this atmosphere and love these people. And you're on the right track. I believe that, that God uh, predestined us, but his predestination was not through election that uh, you had no... Uh, nothing to do with your salvation. We are all free will moral agents and we chose to serve Jesus. But the thing that many of us don't understand is that God, Jesus knew in advance, it says in Ephesians 1, 4, we were chosen by him before the world existed. Can you get your arms around that? Can you think of how important you are? You were in God's mind before you ever existed, before the world and the planets and the stars and the galaxies were thrust into space at the voice of our Lord. You were in his heart and in his mind. And you say, well, then I'm like a puppet. He chose me and I had nothing to do with it. No, the predestination that I believe in 
is that you had your choice, but he knew in advance what your choice was going to be. Do you believe that? Can you get your arms around that? And that's why we are people that God has need of. Jesus needed a donkey. <laughs> he could have created a donkey. But he says, you guys working with the gift of knowledge, he says, there's a colt, a donkey that's never been mounted on. You know, he's parked over here. <laughs> no snowbanks, no nothing. He's, he's right there tied to a, to a tree or something. You just go over there and you borrow that thing because I have need of it. If God needed a donkey, how much more does he need you and your talents and your abilities? If Jesus needed this donkey for a purpose, how much greater is the purpose that God has placed in your heart and in your life and in your calling, in your ministry? I believe that every born-again Christian has a ministry. They're leaders. I was telling the group yesterday, I looked up in a, a little dictionary that I have, what is a leader? A leader is someone that has somebody following them. I mean, we're all leaders in this place. You, your life is important in someone's life. You are needed by the Lord. But if you will give of yourself, he will return to you in abundance what you gave to him. He says he chose us. He predestined us to be adopted sons, as our sister was saying here this morning. And he, he has said, you are to take the gospel to St. Paul, to Minnesota, to the ethnic groups out there, to the ends of the earth. And you say, but I'm not called to be a missionary. That's fine. You're called to be a soul winner right here. And you win souls here, and you give money here, and you send help to send these people out. You are needed of the Lord to complete his mission. Jesus did all he could for us when he died on the cross and was resurrected. He says, I bought you with a price. You're not your own. I'm your owner. I'm your Lord. And we need to give of ourselves to him and get rid of this religious concept that so many people around the world have that I'm to come to church and be blessed and receive from God, but who am I? I have my career. Praise God for people with careers. They can be used in a great manner, sharing the gospel, doing their work. They're touching people that pastors can never touch. They're ministering to people that are looking at their lives and they're seeing there's a difference. And God wants to use us. It's interesting I read a little joke about a, an elephant. These elephants can weigh several tons. And this elephant decided that he was going to go across this homemade wooden bridge. And he got on this bridge, and he started going very slowly across the bridge. And the, uh, the bridge was weaving, and the wood was squeaking. Have you ever heard a squeaky floor uh, when you're under a, a, a floor above you? and somebody walks and it squeaks, I imagine that bridge was just screaming. This is too heavy. This is too much. And he gets across, and there's a little flea mounted on his ear. And the little flea whispers, boy, we really shook up the world, didn't we? 
And I think that's a good illustration of Jesus, this powerful, giant God we have. And together, we can do it. We can work together. We can cooperate together. We can be a team. And we can make a difference in our community, in our family, in our workplace. We can take the gospel to many other nations that aren't coming here. God can bring in more nations into here as we begin to join together and be um, co-laborers with Jesus. I want to read a scripture here in, the, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and start with 17. It's a very well-known verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, can you finish that? Wow. In South America, everyone knows this verse. They've come from such terrible backgrounds. This is their favorite verse, dear me. God has transformed us, made us new creatures. All things have become new. And we think, well, that's wonderful. I'm a new creature. But we got to continue to read. Verse 18 says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. You say, well, that's speaking about Paul. That's speaking about Paul, but it's also speaking about every blood-bought Christian in this world. We are to be reconciling people to Christ. We're the go-between with the anointing of the Holy Ghost. We can change lives. We can speak into people's hearts, and God can use us. That, in, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. How many of you are glad that uh, we're not under the law? The law says, you sin, you die. Tooth for a tooth. We're under grace. But we have to be careful that we're not under the sloppy grace where we are just so happy and blessed and so, and we're not even concerned about our responsibility. People under grace have responsibilities in Christ. Then it says, for he has, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we may be, become the righteousness of God in him. Then, as workers together with him, notice that we're cooperating with Jesus. We're like the little flea on that big, majestic Jesus living in our hearts. Here we are workers together with him. We plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. How can you receive the grace of God in vain? Ignoring your responsibilities before God. It's wonderful to be blessed. It's wonderful to be chosen. It's wonderful to be predestinated. But if we are not committed to Christ and sanctified and living anointed with the Holy Ghost, I know Christians around the world that have never been filled with the Holy Spirit that are in churches like this 
There's no hunger, there's no desire to be filled with the Holy Ghost. God has paid a tremendous price to give us, by grace, this blessing. And it's up to us to be responsible and cry out to him. He wants to bless us. He wants to fill us with his spirit so we can be fruitful before him. It says in verse 2, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Praise the Lord that now is the day of salvation. How many of you believe that we're in the time of the latter rain? The Bible speaks of Pentecost. That was the first rain. It teaches in, in uh, James that there's the first rain. And I was raised on a farm. I know what happens when you seed crops and there's no rain. Our sister was talking about rain this morning. And I was mentioning about yesterday about Elijah uh, praying. God told him, today you're going to cry out to me and I'm going to send the rain. You know, we have a lot of people in the world that have enjoyed God's grace, but they're not into spiritual warfare. Do you know that Elijah was the one that prayed and shut the heavens up for three and a half years? And now God says, you pray and I'm going to open the heavens again. When I read this, and I was reminded of this with our sister this morning. He prayed after he called fire out of heaven. The fire came down, and I think it left a hole in the ground like a nuclear explosion. The power of God was so intense. It, it consumed the rocks, the stones that God, that Elijah had used to build the altar. Everything was burned up. And the whole nation of Israel that was present repented of their sins, and came back to God. And then God says, you go up a little bit farther and you begin to pray. He prayed seven times as he sat on the ground with his head between his knees. Have you ever tried to do that? That's a pretty <laughs> difficult thing, <laughs> to sit on the ground and put your head between your knees. It seems like he was birthing the rain. And I think of this as a type of spiritual warfare. He knew. I mean, sometimes we're praying for something that's been prophesied, and we don't know for sure if it's the time yet. He knew it was the day, but he had to pray seven times. So don't get discouraged in spiritual warfare. If he knew it was that day and had to cry out to God seven times, how much more should we cry out to God? in prayer, in spiritual warfare, and see the hand of a man coming up out of the water, the Mediterranean Sea. He said it's a cloud, black cloud, like the hand of a man. And here comes the rain. Here comes the rain. The rain speaks of revival. The rain speaks of harvest. The rain speaks of wonderful things happening in our lives and in our families. How many of you want the rain to come upon your family? How many of you want the rain to come upon your community? How many of you want that rain? God needs you to bring that rain. Praise the Lord. Proverbs 19.7 says, He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord. He will pay back what he has given. 
When the owner of the donkey loaned his animal to the Lord, and when it was returned, it was much more valuable. You say, how do you know, Bob? Marilyn and I had the privilege of being over in the Holy Land several years ago. We were attending a convention in London with Pastor Larry, and so we thought, well, it's only six hours' flight from here. We'll go to, we always wanted to go to Israel. And we get over there, and we're very ignorant to different things in Israel. So one of the first things we did, we decided to go to Jericho. We didn't know that that was under the Palestine group. And uh, so we go to Jericho, and we look at the ruins. We look at the great excavations, and way down under there, there's several civilizations on top of the walls and all of this. And then we get walking around there. We go to a little plaza where there's a little fence around so nobody can get in there. And there's the tree. It says, this is the sycamore tree where Zacchaeus uh, climbed. And there were umpteen Hebrews around there selling little pieces of wood of that tree. You know, I live in a community in, in Medellin, Colombia. Um, there's Arab influence. There's Jewish influence. There, I know of, of many towns, like the state is called Antioch. Uh, there's a town called Damascus. There's a town called Jericho. There's a town called Bethany. I mean, we're just surrounded by all kinds of names that comes from that culture. And these people are much like the Hebrews. They never, we say in Spanish, nunca estoy barrado. Siempre tengo algo que hacer. I'm never stuck. I've always got some way to make money. And so they sell anything. There are salesmen out on the street. They can sell wool blankets on the Sahara Desert. They can sell ice cream cones to the, to the Eskimos. I mean, this is, this, it's in their DNA. And, I, and I, when I read this, I thought, that guy, when the, when the burrow or the donkey was returned, he was worth a lot more money. I don't know how much he was worth before, say $200, but I'm sure that after that event, the owner of that thing put a sign on him. If you want to mount the donkey that the Messiah, the coming Messiah, rode into Jerusalem on, it cost you so much. I'm sure that donkey increased in value at least double of what it was valued before because he lent to the Lord. The Lord says, if you give to me, if you put in my hands something that I can bless, something that you are, a talent, some of your time, some of your, your giftings, if you will put that in my hands and have a broken spirit, note that Jesus' body was broken for us when we celebrate communion. It talks how his body was broken. We have to have a brokenness in our lives, a sensitivity to the Holy Ghost, a direction of the Holy Spirit. And as, as we give to the Lord, anyway, I asked one of those guys selling those pieces of wood, I said, can you guarantee me 100% that this wood came from that tree? Oh, yes, sir. I said, how many years have you been selling these pieces of wood? And he looked down. <laughs> I think he knew where I was going. 
He said, well, for many years, senor. And then he says to me, he says, well, maybe this didn't come from the tree. It was just a scraggly little tree there. I mean, it would have been exhausted many years before. But he, he was a Hebrew. And anyway, when we loan our talents and gifts and ministries to Jesus, this promotes an event in the spiritual world. Have you ever thought about that? When he returns it, he will give us a reward. One day we're going to receive rewards. How many of you think about heaven? I found so many people in South America that do not have hardly any knowledge. I began years ago to teach a lot on the coming of the Lord and on, the, on the, my opinion, I make it clear that there are some things that are very controversial about the coming of the Lord. But I was, began uh, fresh and anew teaching out of, out of Revelation because our young people don't even think about going to heaven. Of course, what young people do, they're, you know, they're living their life to the fullest and they're happy and they're not thinking about eternity like when you're 37 like me. I'm really 73, but I call myself 37. It's a little bit more pleasant. <laughs> so, you know, God wants to bless what we put in his hands. When Jesus asked Peter to loan him his boat, how many of you remember the miracle fish catch in Luke 5? Jesus comes over there to the lake. Uh, when we were in, when we were in uh, Israel, that was our famous, favorite spot, Lake Galilee. That was beautiful up there. And we spent more days there than we did any other place, really. And um, Peter was standing there. The Bible says Jesus came upon two boats. The fishermen were washing their nets. That's a, another whole, a whole sermon. But anyway, they were washing their nets, and Jesus saw this multitude up on the mountainside. And he knew that if he, he didn't have a little mic like this and a big, powerful amplifier, but he was the creator of the universe, and he knew that if he got in that boat and got away from the, from the beach, I'm thinking all in Spanish this morning. I'm sorry, it's the first time I've preached in English for a while. And so um, he, he uh, spoke, and the voice was amplified by the water. It reflected the sound waves, and they went up into the mountain, and the people uh, were blessed. Uh, my wife accuses me of being a long-winded preacher. And uh, she, she says, oh, for those good old days when you could only preach 20 minutes and then you ran out of material. And uh, uh, I'm sure that Jesus taught for hours, literally hours. The people were hungry for God. And so he taught his message. And then he says to Peter, cast, come out away from the, the beach further out and cast your nets. And Peter, now this is the finky revelation here. I believe I've got the gift of suspicion. And I, I believe that Peter's thinking this. He's saying, Jesus, in your carpentry shop, carpenter shop, you're the, you're the, the man. But on my boat, I'm the expert. I mean, it was just an accident that I wasn't born on this boat. I was raised on this boat with my father. I know every nook and cranny of this little lake. 
I fished all night and caught nothing. You never fish at this hour of the day in this lake. It will not work. But at your command, I will cast the net. I love that in Peter. He had all kinds of difficulties and imperfections like we do. But God used that man so greatly. So he cast the net. Now, Peter had never had any encounter with Jesus. This is another thing. There were two boats there. How did it just happen that Jesus got into Peter's boat? If you want to win souls to Christ, you don't just hand them a track. You got to sit down in their world. You got to get on their boat with them. You got to identify with them and create a relationship so that you can be a winner. You're not just out there like the Testigo de Jehovah, the Jehovah's Witness. You're not out there just giving materials or selling materials. You're, you're, you're building relationships that are going to be fruitful, and you're going to win people to Christ. So he sits down in Peter's boat, and Peter's thinking, this, is, this guy is really famous. He's used of God. He's a prophet. But when he felt the net, when you have any of you uh, fished with a net? I fished a little bit with a net. Man, when those fish hit it, you know they're there. And they hit it. it. They filled up that net, and he started pulling, and he started yelling to his, his uh, partners in the ministry there, in the fish gang there. And they came over with another boat. They filled up two boats until they were almost sinking. Wow. Peter gets back to the beach with his catch. I'm sure he didn't say a word. He was just dumbfounded. All kinds of things were running through his mind, and he got out of the boat and kneeled down on the, on the sand there on the beach, and he said, Jesus, apart from me, depart from me because I'm a sinner. Nobody had to tell Peter at that point that he was a sinner. He knew that he was before God himself. Anyone that could create a miracle like that had to be divine. And that's when Peter knew and his friends, and Jesus said, Peter, don't fear. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And what really impacted me on this, in verse 11, it says, leaving everything. I don't know if those Hebrews even sold the fish. It says they instantaneously followed Jesus. Oh, for willing hearts to throw all of these possessions and material things to the four winds, reputations, prestige, and say, Lord, just make me a soul winner. Lord, just come upon my life and anoint me and use me to be a blessing around the world. Jesus was so close to Peter after that. We have a story also about Jesus in Mark 6. Jesus is out on another mountain deal, and there's thousands of people. They say 5,000 men, not counting the children or the, or, the ch or the children or the women. And he teaches for many hours. And he had promised them, the first time I've ever seen in the Bible, I think it's verse 30 of Mark 6, where Jesus says, let's come away a while and go to a lonely place where we can have a vacation that's the only place I see in the three and a half years of 
of ministry of Jesus where he invites his disciples to go on vacation with him. Maybe there was others, but I haven't seen it in the Bible. And here they get to where they're going to go on vacation, and this place fills up with thousands of people. And the, and the, and the disciples are saying, our, our vacation. <laughs> Dear Lord, don't preach too long now. Don't get that into that gear where you just go on and on. But he did. And so here they are, and, and Philip comes up to him and says, Lord, these people are hungry. They're tired. They've been here for hours. My gift of suspicion says, Philip, you're not being honest. You're thinking, Jesus, you promised us a vacation, and our vacation is fleeting away. And Jesus looks at Philip and says, you feed them. Jesus is saying to you and me today, you feed them. And old Philip, he didn't have much faith. If calculators would have existed, he would have pulled one right out of his knapsack and he would have begun adding up how much it will cost. He said with 200 denarios, or how are you say it in English? I'm not sure if I'm saying Spanish or English. Anyway, whatever the word is there. I wouldn't be able to buy enough fish and, and, and bread to feed this multitude. And then Jesus, wonderful Jesus, he isn't asking us for something that we don't have. He never will ask of you something you cannot give to him. He's a loving God. And he says, what do you have? And here comes Andrew. And he comes up with this little boy with a lunch in his hand. And here this little boy has five loaves and two fish. And I'm sure as he looks up in Jesus' face, he says, uh, Jesus... I'm sorry, I should have asked mom for a bigger lunch. But if this can help, here it is. And he put what he had in Jesus' hand. You say, I'm not an evangelist, I'm not a preacher, I'm not a prophet, I'm not a pastor or a teacher. But you have something that God can use if you'll put it in his hands. And he takes it in his hands. And he breaks it. Almost in every miracle like this, there's a breaking going on. We have to be broken. Our human will does not want to surrender. The old nature does not want to be humbled and surrender to God. But God has given us the option. He has opened a door of great blessing. He says, if you will lend it to me, I will return it. He broke it. He gave it to the disciples. I don't think there was a mountain of fish and bread instantaneously. I think that he gave a piece to every one of those apostles. And as they broke it and gave a piece away, it multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. How many of you believe that we need to get out of the uh, addition mode and get into the multiplication mode? There's lots to do yet here on earth. They finished feeding him. He put them in groups of 50. He knew that some people, the strongest ones, the biggest ones that had the biggest appetite would hoard all the food. So he put them into groups. It's not right that there are 
4,000 or is it 6,500 people groups that have never heard the gospel. There are 2 million, billion people on this planet that have never heard the gospel. They cannot be saved. You say, oh, yes, they can. How can they be saved? We see here in, it's in Romans chapter 10. The Lord says, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on the Lord in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? There's no Bibles. God has commanded us to go. We do not, if we're not called to go, don't feel condemned. That's not your place, but you can go through prayer. You can grow, go as you intercede and do spiritual warfare. Lord, open up these tribes with the gospel. Do you know how many circles around the world two billion people make? Fifteen. There's 4,800,000 approximate people that are not serving God on this planet. And they're the 2.2 billion that they count Christians. That's counting cats, dogs, anybody that's in a home that is Christian religion. They may not know the Lord personally. So that isn't a true value there. But 36 lines around are not serving Christ on this planet. And God has spoken, give me your talents. I have need of your voice. I have need of your testimony. I have need of your talents and the different things that you have. When Jesus needed to go to Samaria, Jesus normally didn't go through Samaria. The Jews don't go through Samaria in that time. But he knew there was a woman at the well that needed him. And he goes into Samaria, and there's this famous woman, terrible sinner. Praise God for God's grace, no? My grandmother almost beat the Samaritan out. She was married four times, not five. And she died a Christian, hallelujah. God's grace is tremendous. And this woman that was forsaken... By the population, she's out here by the well all alone, and Jesus comes up and says, give me a, a glass of water. This woman, all she gave Jesus was a glass of water. But by the time he finished speaking to her, he had given her eternal life. I mean, God has need of you, and God wants to use you. He will not ask you for what you don't have. Peter had a boat. The boy had a lunch. The Samaritan lady had a glass of water to give to the Lord. Everyone that gave something to the Lord gave common material things. They didn't receive a blessing until the Lord touched them. When the Lord returns them, they change from the temporal to eternal, from earthly to heavenly. 
from the ordinary to the extraordinary, from the natural to the supernatural. Jesus doesn't receive what you and I have because he has no other resources. He is rich. He has all the silver and gold and all the precious jewels in the world. At his command, he can call forth any amount of money he needs or he wants. But Jesus is interested in proving our way of living and proving what we're doing. He doesn't really need your resources, but he wants to see if greed is ruling in your life, if you're generous or greedy, if you're giving your tithe faithfully to the Lord. He doesn't really need your tithe. Tithe was given for a blessing, not a curse. The curse comes when there's no tithe given. He doesn't need that tithe, but that's a spiritual thermometer to see how generous you are, how willing you are to give of yourself for others. That's the purpose. And when you give it, how many have proven by giving tithes, you give much more, you get much more back than you got, than you gave. I have health. I take no medication. I travel all over the world, hardly get colds. All of my kids serve God. All of my grandkids serve God. Our whole family serves God. I'd say that's a tremendous blessing. I don't measure it just in money. God's blessing is more than money. God's blessing is his presence, a happy marriage, good relationships, loving sons and daughters around the world that would do anything for us. That's the heritage of the children of God. Hallelujah. Every day, 150,000 people die, and the majority of them go to hell. There's not more than two places in where we're going to go in the future. It's either heaven or hell. The people without Christ are lost eternally. There's all kinds of crazy teaching going around. Well, the people that serve Allah, they'll be saved. Oh, really? Jesus says, I am the way. He doesn't say, I'm one of the many ways. In Timothy, it says there's only one name given by God in which we can be saved. It's all through Jesus. We know Jesus. We need to cry out for his passion. We need to cry out for, to move us off of our place of where we're kind of stuck out there in a desert relationship. When you're not winning souls to Christ, you're not happy. God has need of you. Yes, we have to sacrifice. We have to suffer. We weep together. There's trials. There's tribulations. It isn't all joy but we will live forever with him. What more can you ask for? Amen? How many here today are willing to stand in this auditorium and say, Jesus, I'm standing because I want to offer to you what I have that you need. I'm willing to give it to you. 
How many of you will stand here this morning? Maybe we could have some music. I'm going over a little bit. I'm sorry. I really feel that we're standing on holy ground this morning. From the minute I entered this place, I felt the presence of God. God is here. God is speaking to your life. I know many of you live what I've been preaching here today. Thank God for you. But there are some that are hung up. They're not willing or they haven't been challenged in this way. If God has spoken to your heart in a special way this morning, I wish that you would just come out of your seats and come forward here. Come forward if God is speaking to your heart in any area. And we would, I would like to lay hands on you and pray for you this morning. Just a brief prayer. We don't have much time. You that God is speaking to in any way. Hopefully this message has spoken to those that needed to hear it. But anyone can come. And we will pray with you, join together. And we will bless your lives, your influence, your impact. How many of you would like to have a greater impact in your family with the gospel? How many of you would like to have a greater impact in your workplace? How many of you would like to have the Lord speak to you? You have something that I need and be willing to give it to him today. Hallelujah. Thank God. Just extend your hands towards these that have come forward. Lord, we bless these dear folks that have come forward this morning. God, I pray that you will begin to free them up in the area that they're crying out to you for going to a new level in you. I just pray, God, that you will take their lives in your hands. You're so loving. As you took the bread and the fish, may we offer our lives as a living sacrifice unto you today. May we, may we say willingly, Lord, break me. Give me a pure, contrite, humble heart before you. Make me sensitive to you, Lord, to be used. Begin a revival in my heart that will impact my family, my loved ones that are away from God. Begin, Lord, using me. I'm willing to put in your hands what I have for my family in the beginning here. And then for my neighbors. And then for those around the world that have never heard of Jesus, never known, never seen a Bible, have no way of becoming Christians. Lord, we, our heart cries out for them today. We ask you, Lord, use us. Use us as your instrument. Oh, in Jesus' name, I pray that your Holy Ghost will be poured out upon us fresh and anew today. 
if any are, are bound, need deliverance in their spirit, have hang-ups that are holding them back, are in a spiritual desert, no, maybe like in a long tunnel, they can't see the end of the tunnel. I pray in Jesus' name for liberty, for the move of Christ in their hearts today. I pray that the Holy Ghost will break and move and challenge and cause us, oh God, to enter into a new level of ministry for you. Thank you for all of these leaders in this church. We thank you for the seven different ethnic groups represented here. We pray your outpouring of your spirit on this house of prayer and the other meeting places around in Minneapolis and around this city. We pray, oh God, the revival will begin to come, that the latter rain will be poured out. We have had the first rain, but we need the latter rain to gather in the large harvest. We plant, we seed, but you're you do the watering, Lord. You send the rain. We ask you to send the rain here today. Send the rain over our hearts, over our, our families. Send the rain. Awaken us, oh God, to your will. Many of us have been in a rut for so many years. It's hard to change. But Lord, today we cry out for change in our life. We manifest our hunger for you today. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to do a new work. Free us up, oh God. Take away our fears. Take away every fear, every student, every young person in this place. May they become firebrands in their colleges and universities. I pray in Jesus' name for everyone in workplace that they will begin to be that fire and wind of the Holy Spirit blowing in that workplace, the fire burning out the dross and the people around them. May the Holy Ghost flow and move in our lives as never before. We praise you, we worship you, we bless you, and thank you for it today. We love you, Jesus. We pray, oh God, for multiplication of Bethel here in this place. We ask you, Holy Spirit, as you multiply this around the city, open up more areas around the city. In the name of Jesus, we believe, God, that you're going to raise up congregations, many, many more congregations in St. Paul and Minneapolis. And we ask you, God, to flow by your Holy Ghost. We speak a word over this house. Lord, the former will be greater than the beginning. The former will be greater than the beginning. We believe it in Jesus' name. We confess it. We praise you for it. We exalt your name for it. And we thank you for it in the name of Jesus. We pray for a fresh anointing on every pastor of every one of these groups. We pray for them to make sons and daughters we pray that these sons and daughters will raise up other groups, not just in American setting, but in all of these different ethnic groups around the city. We pray in Jesus' name that this house of prayer will be spread around these twin cities. In Jesus' name.
with much fruit. Today, Lord, we put in your hands what you've asked us to put. We give to you what you're talking to us about today. And we know that someday you will return it to us, greatly multiplied, because we love you, we praise you, we worship you. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah! For those of you here at the altar, Pastor Bob's just going to come and minister personally briefly with each of you, and uh, if I could have some assistance, uh, Ben, if you uh, assist Pastor Bob in the, as he's doing that. So you can just start over here and make your way across. So you'll just be ministering to these folks oh, individually. Is that okay? And I'm going to just pray a prayer of blessing and benediction over the house as we go just open your hands but if you're at the altar just stay pastor bob would love to minister and pray for you lord jesus we have heard your heart today you've simply said you have need of us So Jesus, we offer our lives to you today, all that we have and all that we are, at your disposal, that Jesus, your life might flow in and through us to those who've yet to hear and know you, to those around us that are lonely and hurting and broken, Jesus ride on our lives, we pray. Use Jesus. And now with hands open, may you be filled afresh even this day with the immeasurable love of God the Father and the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son. And the inexhaustible strength, power, comfort, and hope of the Holy Spirit be with you and yours. As you go from this house to yours, sent to make disciples of all nations, go with the banner of his favor and blessing over your life. And until we gather again, either in this house or in our eternal home, may his love and mercy chase you now for his glory and praise. Amen. Amen.